So I hope you guys enjoyed that little reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, all throughout the year on First Wednesdays, what we're going to be doing is kind of looking at some of the heroes of the faith. Um, I can't see you guys real good out there, so I'll just pretend you're out there. Um, <clears throat> there we go. Cool. Hang on a second. I'm getting a lot of that. All right. Better? Good. All right. Um, so we're going to be looking at Old Testament heroes of the faith, people that you probably heard about in VBS uh, or in Sunday school growing up. And then as we become uh, more uh, dignified and, uh, you know, kind of knowledgeable in our faith, we sort of leave behind some of the uh, foundational characters of the Bible message. And so we're going to go back and we're going to uh, look at some of their lives and we're going to work through Scripture looking at guys like Noah and Abraham and some others. And so tonight we're going to be talking about Noah. So if you will, take your Bibles and find Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I don't have the Scripture on screen and don't mind that because that forces you to open your own Bible. So Hebrews chapter 11 and find verse 7. Find verse 7. Unless you have it memorized, of course. All right. Hebrews 11 and verse 7 starts out this way. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So today's January 1st, 2014, and uh, this is my second time actually preaching on January 1st. I preached uh, two years ago on the 12th, or sorry, the first on 2012, uh, and I preached a message entitled, How to Have a Fresh Start with God, how we can start over in the new year, kind of begin our walk with God afresh and and move on from there. Um, But tonight I want to talk about kind of the tail end of that idea. Um, Tonight I want to talk about how to finish well, how to finish well. Because when you think about everything you've begun in your life, uh, none of you start things thinking from the start, I want to ruin this from the beginning. Like, no one stands up here and uh, holds the hand of their soon-to-be bride uh, and and is standing there thinking, man, I really hope we just ruin this whole marriage uh, in the first two months. You know, I hope we just, like, wreck it in the ditch. When you have that, that baby, you know, and you hold that baby for the first time and you're looking down at this thing thinking, what do I do? Uh, you know, you want to do everything you can to take care of it and nurture it. You don't want to ruin uh, the baby's, the child's life. You know, nobody starts out things thinking, uh, I really want to mess this up as badly as I can. We all start out wanting to do well. But see, the problem is that in a lot of areas in our life, uh, if somebody could grab me a bottle of water in the back, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh, In a lot of areas in our life, we don't really know how to finish well, do we? We know how to start things. We know how to start uh, college we know how to start uh, things like um, uh, drinking more water. We know how to do all kinds of things and start them, but we really aren't all that adept at finishing what we start. Uh, and so what we really need to look at is how do we finish well? How do we finish well? Because we're starting a new year. How are you going to finish 2014 with your faith not just intact, but growing and thriving? How are you going to finish your lifetime Uh, How are you going to finish out your marriage? How are you going to finish parenting your kids or the job you're at, whatever it is? How are you going to finish well? How are you going to do that? If you don't have a game plan for how you're going to finish well, you're probably not going to finish well. Let me just tell you that. If you don't have a, 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 um, let's say you're going on a a road trip somewhere. If you don't have directions for how you're going to get to your destination, are you going to wind up where you wanted to wind up at? No, you're going to be lost. And uh, if you're like 
uh, I don't mind doing this, but if you're like most men, you're not going to want to ask directions, and so you just wander around lost for a while, right? We need a game plan. We need directions. We need to know how we're going to get where we're wanting to go. And so when we look at uh, the life of Noah, we see a guy who uh, had a resolution in a sense, um, but not a one-year resolution. It was a 120-year resolution. And you're like, 120-year resolution? Yeah. If I asked you, okay, what, what's your New Year's resolution for this year? You'd probably say something like, uh, I'm going to ride my bike more, or I'm going to work out eight days a week, or I'm going to do whatever I can. You guys wait. All right, bad joke. All right, you're going to do a bunch of different things uh, that you didn't do in 2013, hoping for 2014 to be a better year, right? So when we look at Noah, he started this resolution, but it was a 120-year resolution. Now, if you read the scripture and you kind of just timeline things out, uh, Noah started building the ark when he was 480 years old. How many of you knew that? One. All right. 480 years old is when Noah started building the ark. It took him 120 years to build the ark. All right? Thank you, Robin. It took Noah 120 years to build an ark. Who starts a building project uh, over a century long in their 480s? I mean, really. You know what I'm saying? This guy's so old, he shouldn't even be buying green bananas at this point. I mean, he probably should just be packing it up and getting ready to lay on down and push up some daisies. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, it would not have been good for Noah to start this thing and, you know, get to his 570s and go, well, we've been at this for about 85 years, and uh, I'm kind of worn out and tired, and I've run out of gopher wood, and so we're just going to hang it up. You know, Noah needed to be able to finish what he started. He needed to be able to go the distance and stay the course in his faith. And so we're going to see three keys in Noah's life tonight from this one verse, incidentally, from this one verse, three keys for how Noah went the distance in his faith and how you can go the distance in your faith. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, let me give you those three very quickly. Noah possessed an unshakable confidence in God. Noah possessed an unshakable confidence in God. Second, Noah developed or cultivated the ability to listen to God. He cultivated the ability to listen to God. And third, third, Noah consistently obeyed God's leading in his life. All right? So the first thing is he, did, he had an unshakable confidence in God. Second, he cultivated, I chose that word carefully, he cultivated the ability to listen to God. How many of you by nature are incredible listeners? No one, right? I mean, we don't listen well naturally. We have to kind of develop that. If you talk to most wives in here, if I went up to your wife, guys, and I said, is your husband a good listener? Uh, Your wife is going to say the same thing that my wife would say to you. No, no. It's a skill you have to develop. So Noah developed this. We need to develop this in our lives spiritually. And third, uh, Noah consistently obeyed God's leading in his life. One of my favorite movies um, from 1976, old movie, I, it blew my mind, it's almost 40 years old, but Rocky won. You guys have probably seen the previews for that weird grudge match movie coming out with Rocky and uh, Robert De Niro, and I don't know what those guys are doing. Uh, but anyway, from Rocky won, Rocky gets this opportunity um, to fight the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. And when he gets the opportunity, um, he begins training, and he gets himself in really good shape. And he gets ready to fight, and the night before the fight, uh, he looks at his girlfriend, Adrian, and he says, he says, I can't win. I can't win. You know, she's trying to encourage him and everything, and she kind of knows he can't win, but she's trying to you know, tell him he can. Uh, and he goes, I can't win. And then he goes, all I want to do is just go the distance. I just want to go the distance. 
I want to make it 15 rounds with the champ so I know that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. And if you think about that, like, you know, take the boxing part out of it. If you think about it, that's what you want. That's what I want. We want to go the distance. We want to go the distance in our faith. We want to go the distance in our marriage. We want to go the distance in our, in our job and our friendships and in serving God everywhere. So let's look at Noah's life carefully, and we will learn some good stuff here. In verse 7, it starts out, it says, By faith, Noah. All right, I'm going to stop there. And you're like, man, we're going to be here all night if you keep stopping. I'm going to stop there. By faith, Noah. All right. If you look at how this verse starts and ends, it starts and ends the same way. If you go in Andrew's uh, office in there and you look on the corner of his desk, he's got um, like a bunch of books. But he's got eight or nine books on the corner of his desk. And there are two little metal things that are on the end of the books to hold the books up. What are those called? Bookends, right? They're bookends. They hold the books up so they can stand on their own. When you come to verse 7, if you look at the first two words of verse 7, what are they? By faith. What's the last two words of verse 7, if you have the ESV? By faith, right? So faith is what is kind of encapsulating, it's kind of surrounding Noah's story. It's like the parentheses. It's saying this is where Noah's story starts, and this is where Noah's story stops. By faith, all right? He did what he did by faith. Everything in Noah's life operated out of his faith. So we have to ask the question then, what is faith? And you're like, why are you asking that question, you know? Well, because here's the reason. Um, faith for all of us in this room, more than likely, is something that we just toss out. We just talk about faith all the time. I mean, faith is on coffee cups. It's on bookmarks. It's on cross-stitch patterns. It's on uh, your grandma's, you know, uh, Afghan hanging over her rocker. I mean, faith is everywhere. We've turned it into a girl's name. The word faith is everywhere. And so sometimes I think we lose the significance and the weight of what faith is and what it means. And I'm going to break it down real basic for you because of how I like to think. Real basic is, is basically this. Faith is confidence. It's confidence. Now, spiritually, it's confidence when you can't see, obviously. But if I say to you, I have faith in you, or you say to me, I have faith in you, you're saying, I have confidence in you. I believe in you. Okay? So when Noah has confidence in God, he's saying, I have confidence in who God is, who he's revealed himself to be, and I have confidence that he's going to do everything that he says that he's going to do. You say, where did Noah develop this faith? If you look at Genesis chapter 6, at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 6, I'll turn there and read it. You don't have to turn there, just listen. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. And then before they get to the generations, they like, put this little parenthesis in there. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. There was a foundation of faith present in Noah's life. Every day, day in, day out, he walked with God. You're like, he was blameless? Like he didn't do anything wrong? That doesn't mean what you think it means. All right? It's like the princess bride. I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway. Uh, okay, you got me. Good. All right. Um, blameless means basically this. He was consistent. He was consistent. He blew it, you know, but for the most part, he was consistent in his walk with God. It says that Noah was righteous, so uh, God had given him a right standing with him. He was blameless, so he walked consistently with God. And then I love the last phrase, he walked with God. Some translations say he walked before God. He walked before God. It'd be like somebody standing right here tonight and, uh, and somebody just walking down here in front of us, okay? And they're in full view of you if you're right here, okay? Or if, uh, if you ever watch the dog show, anybody ever watch the dog shows on Thanksgiving Day? Anybody ever watch those? Chad, you just admitted that. I'm disappointed. All right. 
but I, I don't understand why uh, Chad watches the dog shows. I, ca- I cannot wrap my mind around watching uh, a manly dog like a Doberman Pinscher like prance around on blue carpet in front of people. You know, it just does not make sense to me, and I refuse to watch a dog show. But that gives us a really good idea of what it means, uh, you know, honestly, to walk before God. It's this. The dog uh, is trained to do uh, the right thing, and the dog walks right in front of the judge, and the dog is in full view of the judge. Everything about the dog, the judge is laying his eyes on, and everything is in full view. And so when Noah walked with God, it was almost like, think about weird like the dog show, uh, Noah's life was in full view of God. God watched every second of the movie of Noah's life. Okay? He watched every second of the movie of Noah's life. He observed everything he did, and Noah was a righteous man and a blameless man. Let me ask you, is that a tag that God can put on your life? I mean, he watches everything that goes on in your life. He knows every thought. He knows every motive. Would God look at you and say, that one there is righteous. That one's consistent. That one walks before me. That ought to be the aim and the intent of every day of a Christian's life. There is not a day you should walk up, wake up and think, uh, God's not going to watch in full view. I'm not going to be in full view of, of God's eye today. He's watching everything that we're doing. And he's intimately involved. And he wants us to walk before him in the way that Noah did. So when the neighbors, uh, when Noah's building or, you know, he's hammering and nailing or whatever he did, you know, with the gopher wood, and the neighbors show up and they're kind of laughing and they're poking fun, you know, and Noah's kind of taking, taking some heat from his buddies. And, and when the gopher wood runs low, when the 87th year rolls around and there's no rain and everybody's pointing at him and laughing, you know, Noah had unshakable confidence. He did what he did every day by faith. How do you do what you do? How do you do your job? How do you pay your bills? How do you parent your kids? How do you love your spouse? How do you serve God here in this church? How do you drive your car? How do you think your thoughts? Let me ask you this question. At the beginning of this verse, it says, by faith, Noah. One little clause, by faith, Noah. And then there's the comma, interesting, okay? It's pairing Noah's name with faith. If you were to take the word faith out and you draw a blank and you say, by blank, Sarah, by blank, James, by blank, Gino, does whatever he does. How do you fill in the blank for your life? How would you answer that question? If you went home tonight, and before you lay down, you say, God, show me how I fill in that blank. By blank, I pay my bills each month. By blank, I love my spouse. By blank, I raise my kids. By blank, I conduct myself around outsiders. How do you do what you do? Because for a believer, it ought to be the same thing as Noah, by faith. Confidence in God, unshakable confidence. But second, we see this. We need to develop the ability to listen to God. We need to cultivate this because it says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. Noah didn't just hear God. Noah listened to God, all right? So when God spoke, we don't know if God showed up or if God spoke to him, but when God spoke and he directed Noah, Noah didn't just hear God's voice. Noah listened to God, all right? If you're a parent tonight, you know exactly what I'm about to say. Huge difference between hearing and listening, isn't it? I see some eyes rolling, (laughs) all right? Huge difference between hearing and listening. Noah listened to God. 
What about the rest of the people out there that Noah was preaching? Because the, the scripture calls him a preacher of righteousness. So he's hammering and nailing, he's slapping pitch all over the place, and he comes down off the ladder, and he's preaching to the boys in the neighborhood saying, guys, listen, you need to turn away from your sin. You need to turn to God. He's going to flood this world, and you're going to die. Listen, he's a preacher of righteousness. All right? Did they listen or did they hear? They heard. They heard the message, but they didn't listen. Why? Because listening involves what? Paying careful close attention, and almost always action. Obedience. Obedience. Noah had cultivated this ability to hear God speak to him. All right? When I was in Ingalls the other day, I think it was this past weekend, it was me and uh, Carrie and the boys, and we're getting us some apple fritters, one of my favorite snacks. And uh, I, I'm from Durham. My family is. Um, and so my parents come up every now and then, but no, they're not you know, in this neck of the woods very often. Um, but I'm standing there with my back to, to the rest of the people in the produce section, and I'm you know, talking to somebody at the, uh, at the place where they fix the sandwiches and stuff, and all of a sudden I hear my dad's whistle. I hear, no, sorry, I, no, that's mine. He goes, real quick, you know? And you're probably like, well, that sounds like everybody else. My dad has a whistle, and I, I just can't imitate it real well tonight. Um, but I heard his whistle, and I stopped, and Carrie knows it. She's heard the same thing, you know? So I stopped, and I started looking around. And I'm looking for my dad in Ingalls. She said, what are you doing? I said, my dad's here. She said, no, he's not. You know, and I was like, no, he is. Didn't you hear his whistle? Well, I heard it. And then I kind of, you know, started to realize my dad's in Durham, and he works third shift, so he's probably asleep right now. He's not whistling at me in Ingalls in Black Mountain, okay? But I, over, I don't know, 25 years, uh, 22 years of living at home, when my dad did that little whistle, I mean, we could be at the fairgrounds in Raleigh, and he could do that, and I would stop on a dime and, like, look for my dad, you know, because I cultivated this ability to hear his whistle. And some people would say, okay, well, when you hear something over and over and over, you learn to drown it out. Really? Really? I mean, think about, uh, think about your favorite show. When you, if you're in the kitchen and you hear the TV come on, and that, your favorite TV show, the person starts speaking, you know that TV show's on, don't you? You don't drown it out. I mean, you tune in, and you go in there. And see, we need to develop that same ability to listen to God because God warned Noah about the flood to come. And when God warns Noah, we need to observe the grace in God's warning. God did not have to warn Noah. Do you realize that? God did not have to warn Noah except to preserve this promised seed that he had said back in Genesis 3 was coming. You know why he warned Noah? Because he wanted to display grace to Noah's line because one day down that line was going to come his son, Jesus. And so he warns Noah and Noah has to learn to listen to him. What if Noah chose to ignore God's warnings? What if, what if Noah was just like, ah, God, I'm busy. I don't have time. Uh, I've got, you know, to shift my fantasy football lineup around, and I've got to run my business, and I've got to do all these things. And God's like, but Noah, you need to listen. You know, Noah's like, eh, I just don't have time. What if he ignored the warnings? Carrie was ironing a shirt for me um, just, I guess, a week or so ago, and uh, this illustration just, like, flew into my mind as I was thinking about it. My, my littlest son, Scott, he's three years old, and uh, he's, I guess, about this high. Um, and Carrie was ironing this shirt. And I just had this like home alone moment where Daniel Stern is standing in the basement and he jerks on the cord of the iron. And what does the iron do? The iron falls down the laundry chute and smashes him in the face. And he's got this red print on his face. I just saw the whole thing happening with Scott and me trying to explain this, you know. But it hit me that if Carrie says to Scott, she says, don't pull on the iron cord. She's warning him why because of she's being gracious towards our son. She's saying there is going to be danger, there's going to be disaster if you pull on the iron cord, all right? But here's the thing. Scott's down here. He can't see what's going on up here. He can't see the iron. He can't see that it's hot. 
He can't see that if he fails to listen to the warnings and pulls the cord, there's danger that's going to fall down on his head. See, Noah couldn't see what was going on. God could see all these things because God's omniscient. God knows everything. He sees everything everywhere at once. And so when God warns Noah, Noah by faith, again, has to listen as he's cultivated this ability to hear God's voice. And he has to not pull on the iron cord, so to speak. He has to do what God says. Warnings come to us in so many ways. Have you ever thought about that? Warnings come to you every single day. When you're driving your car, all right, when you're driving your car, and all of a sudden the light flashes on the dash, what do you do? You take it to the shop and get it worked on, right? If you're 16 and you got a girlfriend, you slap her picture up there, you just ignore it. (laughs) You just keep on going, right? But when you get 25 and you start paying for your own car and the light comes on and you don't do something about it, you're in trouble. I had a friend in uh, high school, um, he ran cross country with me, and uh, one day I noticed his van was parked in the same spot for like months at a time. And I said to Thomas, I was like, Thomas, what happened to your van, man? And he was like, I didn't put any oil in it. And I was like, you didn't put any oil in your car? He's like, no. Nah. He said, the light came on. I just ignored it. I was like, you ignored the light. and You didn't put oil in your van. So it just stayed parked because he blew the engine, right? Warnings uh, have grace in them. We just don't see it that way. We see warnings as restrictive and prohibitive, like they're going to keep us from having fun. But when God warns you in a sermon, or when God warns you through a friend who comes to you and kind of challenges you and pushes you a little bit, all right? Or when God comes to you and he warns you and he says, hey, listen, you really need to be paying attention to my voice. Have you cultivated an ear to hear God's voice before that warning comes? Because if you don't know how to listen to God now, when the warning comes later, you're not going to know what's going on. You're not going to hear it. It's his voice is going to be drowned out by everything else. And so my question for you tonight is, are you cultivating an ability to listen to God? When the warning light comes on and he's flashing, he's saying, listen, pay attention, stop. Have you learned to listen to God? Third, know a model of consistent obedience. I love this part of the passage right here. It says, after he's warned, it says, Noah constructed the ark in reverent fear. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. When I say reverent fear, uh, when I read this to you probably earlier, some of you probably passed over that phrase in reverent fear and just jump right over it, like the little Disney ball on top of the words and you're singing the song, you know, you just kind of bounce right over it because honestly, the words fear and reverence are lost on us today when it comes to God. We don't reverence God like we should. We don't fear God deep down in our gut, in our heart, with our minds, with our actions like we ought to. Odie talks about this all the time to the kids in kids' worship. If you come to kids' worship, we hear him saying, you need to reverence, you need to reverence God, you know? And what he's saying is you need to honor, you need to respect. You need to have a high view of God. Think about uh, Noah's example. Noah built the boat in reverent fear. Now take King Saul from the Old Testament. What happened to King Saul in in 1 Samuel 15? God told him, he said, I want you to go into this city. I'm going to give you a military victory, and you're going to wipe out the city. I want everything breathing dead. I want it gone. What did Saul do? He listened to the voices of his men. And instead of wiping everything out, he wiped out everything but the cattle and the best sheep. And so the prophet Samuel shows up and he says, Hey, Saul, what's going on, man? Saul's like, You're just doing the Lord's work. What you doing? You know, I'm just bringing a message. What you doing? You know, they kind of go back and forth a little bit. And Samuel says, um, or Saul says to him, He says, I've been doing, you know, what God asked me to do. And he said, Oh, really? If you've been doing what God asked you to do, he said, then why do I hear the voice of sheep bleeding in my ears? 
You know, I saw him at that point. He goes, uh-oh. And he kind of knows what's happening. He's been busted. He listened to the voice of the people around him. And he feared man more than he feared God. And so what happened? God rejected him as king. Samuel said, you know what? Today, God is rejecting you as king. And he's going to put somebody else on your throne. And what happened to Saul's life after that? It was a downward spiral down the toilet bowl into the septic tank, spiritually. I mean, he went down, man. He was committing all kinds of crazy sins. He went just wild in his mind. Unbelievable story of someone, not, uh, someone failing to fear God. If you read what he says in 1 Samuel 15, he says this. He says, I have sinned because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. And let me tell you something. I'll write this down. Who you fear determines who you'll follow. Who you fear determines who you follow. What you're afraid of de- de- determines what you will run from. Who did Saul fear? He feared man. So whose voice did he obey? His men. Who did Noah fear? He feared God. He reverenced God. He had high respect, admiration, honor, a high view of God. So when God spoke, what did he do? He obeyed. The scripture says then that he condemned the world by faith, by this, by faith. He condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah condemned the world. Basically what this means is he turned his back on the world. I don't mean in the sense that he kind of gave up on them, but in order to turn his face toward God, can he have his face turned toward God and have his face turned toward the world at the same time? Is that possible? I mean, can you do that? Can I have one foot in God's camp and one foot in the other? When I was a youth pastor, uh, I would see this happen. For a couple years here, I was a youth pastor, and I would see this happen. And there would be teenagers who were so pulled between, I want to be cool, and I want to be liked, and I want to you know, be popular, and I want to fit in, but I also want to walk with God. And you, there's no way, because eventually, like, eventually my split is just going to give out if I try to you know, like, keep doing this number, because it's just going to get farther and farther apart. I can't have one foot in the world and one foot serving God at the same time. All right, Jesus, in, in I think the Gospel of Luke, maybe chapter 9, it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. When he was ready to go to the cross and it was time, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Did he look back? No, he went in one direction. And Noah set his face toward God. And so in order to do that, he had to turn his back on the world. Noah didn't condemn the world like Noah was the judge of the world, but Noah's actions condemned the world and their actions. Here's the reality. We talk about making Christ visible around here, right? When you make Christ visible in your workplace, in your family, it forces people around you to say, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go that way. If you show them Jesus by how you live, they have to make a decision. Okay? When Jesus showed up on the scene and he's talking to the Pharisees and he's talking to the disciples, Jesus never left people the option to take the middle road. He said, you go this way or you go that way. And if we make Christ visible, our lives either condemn or our lives condone. They say, that's awesome or you're not following God. We don't have to say it with our, with our mouth. When we follow Christ and we live it out, we condemn the world just like Noah did. It says that he became an heir to the righteousness by faith. An heir is somebody who what? Inherits something. Inherits righteousness. The scripture is real peculiar here. It says there is a or the righteousness. A singular righteousness that Noah inherited. So in other words, there's only one way to be saved. There's only one right standing to be had with God. And there's only one new world to inherit. Think about it. When Noah got off the boat, what, did he, what, what had happened? He was saved, he was pronounced righteous, and what did he inherit? A new world. 
for the believer in Christ today, we're saved, we're pronounced righteous, and we inherit the new world to come when Christ takes us home. You see, if you look at the story of Noah, God had one man, he had one plan, there was one ark, and there was one door that Noah could enter through. And Noah called out, he said, guys, come on, come in, come in. There's plenty of room. Archaeologists have, have decided that the, or have discovered that the ark itself was like 96,000 square feet of deck. It was 473 or 78 feet long. Like if you picture McDowell High Stadium, it was from the field house to the nature trail long. It was from uh, track to track wide, and it was four stories high. All right? Scholars say there was plenty of room for other people to join him when Noah called out and said, Listen, I'm warning you about the wrath to come. All you got to do is repent. And nobody listened. You know the reality is for Noah? Noah would have never won a popularity contest in our day, in his day either. I mean, if you look at it, if you think about uh, Noah's Facebook page, how many friends did Noah have on Facebook? Seven. (laughs) His wife, his three kids, and their wives, all right? Noah was not winning a popularity contest, and he did not have the most followers on Twitter because the guy decided, I'm going to consistently obey God every day of my life. And I would say to you, I know most of you are believers in here, so if you're a believer, then take us and flip it around and be grateful for it. But listen, there, God had one man, Jesus, had one plan. There is no plan B, the cross. And there is one door. Jesus said, I am the door. You enter through me to be saved. No other way to come to heaven but through me. See, Noah's story, all it is is like a little uh, microcosm of a bigger story. It's a little flashlight pointing towards a bigger light, towards Jesus Christ. Everything about Noah's story points forward to Christ. If you read it, it's awesome. That's what I love about the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I'm going to say to you adults, if you want to get a good read, pick one up. Like Even if you're not buying it for a kid or a grandkid, just pick it up and read it. It will change the way you see stories because all of it points toward Christ. And so if you want to finish well tonight, here's what I'm going to do. Instead of giving you like, like 17 New Year's resolutions for you to carry out throughout the year, I'm going to give you three prayers. Jot these down. Three simple prayers. Number one. And these go along with our points. Number one, Lord, help my unbelief. You've heard that in Scripture. Help my unbelief. Build in me an unshakable confidence in you. Help my unbelief. Prayer number two, Lord, cultivate in me an ear for your voice. Teach me to listen to you when you speak. Tune my heart and my mind to your station. The scripture says, set your mind on things above. You can change the station of your mind, believe it or not. You think, man, I, I'm just struggling to hear God's voice. Well, what, you got other static and stuff going on. I mean, you got all kinds of devices plugged in. Unplug them. Tune in. Tune in. Make it a habit. Ask God to cultivate that in you. Number three, give me the courage to consistently obey. Give me the courage to consistently obey. Help my unbelief. Cultivate a listening ear in me and give me the courage to obey you this year. That's how you finish well. That's how you finish well. You want to finish well? Listen to God's word. Let's pray.